Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, it's JB, and this is The Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing, and if you want to, you can follow us on Twitter at The Rugby Dungeon, Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast at Rugby Podcast, and myself at Jay Beardmore. Please subscribe, please leave a, a review, do all those good things, and if you want, come and watch this interview and all the past interviews that we've done on Facebook Live. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Jamie Cudmore. Um, Jamie is known as the enforcer in France for good reason. We'll be getting into it uh, with him about that, about his winemaking, maybe even a little bit about the concussion, his time in France's time in Wales. Loads and loads to get into. Before we do any of that, a quick sponsor read to our friends at Field and Flower. Field and Flower are the UK's leading providers of grass-fed meat delivered directly to your door. Go on their website, fieldandflower.co.uk, and just you know pick the fresh produce that, that you want. It will be delivered directly to your door. And even better, if you use our code RUGBY20, you get 20% off your first order. I've done it. Loads of our other listeners have done it, and we're very grateful because you support them and they support us and make everything in the Rugby Dungeon possible. So thank you for them. Go on their website. Use our code RUGBY20 and help support everything that we do down here. And just as an aside, if you've got a business or if you want to get involved with sponsorship of either the Rugby Dungeon or Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, hit us up on Twitter, uh, either at uh, Rugby Podcast or at the Rugby Dungeon. Now, this is my interview with Jamie Cudmore. I hope you enjoy it. How are you, Jamie? Very well, sir. How are you? I'm in the best of health, thank you very much. Um, this summer, you've moved over to Oyana. Uh, I assume that Monday's a training day. What have you been up to, Jamie? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, as we play a lot of our games uh, midweek, we have a lot of uh, Thursday, Friday games. We've got uh, normally Saturday off, and then uh, Sunday's our Monday. So uh, today was uh, kind of our typical big contact, big, uh, big white session day, and... Uh, even though, unfortunately, I'm injured at the moment. I broke my hand in the first game of the season. Uh, yeah. It's still a, still a big day. Yeah, I, I was looking through the Oyanas squad, and you've got a fair few names there. I mean, the one which stood up for me was uh, was Dean Grayling. Yeah, I know there's uh, some quality, quality players. Uh, as you talked about, Dean, uh, Stephen Sykes, another South African. Uh, we've got uh, guys, uh, a lot of good island boys, Vilani uh, Mafu, Mori Fasavelu. There's uh, some uh, some old some old heads with uh, some great experience and uh, some younger guys, James Hall, little number nine that's come over from South Africa as well. 
um, and uh, some great French talent with uh, Quentin Etienne and a guy named Max Vaux. Uh, there's uh, there's talent throughout the squad, and we're we're really looking to to get back up in the top fourteen. Excellent. Well, uh, Pro D1, or how, uh, however you say it in France, yeah, it's a savage Pro-D-Gen. league. I mean, it really is tough. If you look at the names and the history of the clubs in, in that league now, uh, it's, well, it, I mean, if you compare it to the English Championship, it, it's just a different level. Um, well, yeah, the, I think the rugby is getting, uh, getting better, getting harder uh, uh, at all levels. We played a few Federal One teams, which was uh, the equivalent of third division here mm. in uh, in our preseason, and uh, they gave us a run for our money. Um, so you know everything kind of filters down from above. The top four teams full of uh, world class players from around the world, and uh, and that kind of goes down into Pro D2, and then into the federal system, the Federal One, Federal Two. There's still some really good rugby being played. Let's start from the beginning then. How does a young man growing up in Canada? get into rugby <laughs> well yeah it's uh, it's 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 pretty funny but it, it's kind of starts with a cliche is uh, i was uh, i was uh, i was working in the bush logging as a, as a young fella and uh i got an opportunity to play uh, to play rugby on the weekends through my boss i knew a bit about rugby as my old man he's uh, he's from england uh, he immigrated back in the 70s oh, really? and uh, he played a bit of rugby uh, at um at, at school and uh, at, at cambridge where he went to university um so uh, i always knew about rugby but there was never an opportunity as i grew up in a small town on the west coast of canada a place called squamish uh, we had pretty much your classic sports you had baseball soccer in the summer and uh, hockey or skiing in the winter and um as my mom thought hockey was a little bit too violent, um, <laughs> I got uh, I got dragged up the up the hill of the old man. So it was uh, it was it was pretty cool to be uh, to be on the slopes all the time. But yeah. um, I always uh, was pretty envious of my buddies playing hockey. So hang on, your dad was a a Cambridge educated rugby player from England. Did you ever yeah. consider playing for England? Was that ever an option? Um, no. Well, this, this, as I, as I was. A, I'm Canadian, born and grew up in Canada. I never, um, never really thought about that. To be fair, um, I'm pretty proud Canadian. I grew up there, um, uh, watching the, the the Canadian hockey team play. Uh, growing up, that was always a, a kind of a something something that I kind of thought that would be huge in my mind to be able to represent Canada. Um, and I was very fortunate to, uh, later on to, to be able to do it with rugby. So, um, you know, it was definitely an option, I think, uh, in, in the future. But, um, you know, as I didn't really play in England or, um, or any, any, just anything like that, it was, uh, I, was, I was very happy to represent Canada. So when did you first get the bug to play rugby? And when did you realise it was going to be a serious career opportunity? Um, well, it happened quite late. I, I never thought it was going to be a career opportunity. I always just enjoyed playing, uh, playing with my buddies in, uh, in Squamish at the beginning and then moving down to Vancouver, playing for a great, great club, Capilano's in the North Shore of Vancouver. And then, uh, and then it just kept opening up opportunities. Uh, I had a chance to go down and play in New Zealand in North Harbour, New Zealand, for the East Coast Bays, where I had a really, really great kind of um, rugby wake-up as to, as to skill levels and uh, and speed of play, uh, you know, the difference between playing club rugby in Canada and going down to play with club rugby in New Zealand is like night and day. I bet. So that's kind of where things started to go really, really fast. Uh, I had some great opportunities on uh, 
coming back to Canada with uh, some youth uh, youth setups in Canada, and then again getting uh, getting uh, capped uh, a year later. So uh, things went really really quickly. I see. So did you come over to Wales as a already capped Canadian international, or were you capped after you moved over to Wales? Uh, I was capped. Oh, Jesus, so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I did, I got capped that summer. And uh, and then uh, I was uh, in contact with a few other Canadian boys that were playing over there, and they said, uh, "Why not? Why not give it a go?" And um, so I started talking with some agents, some clubs, and uh, I was very fortunate to be um, to be picked up with uh, Thalassi, and I played a year with Thalassi, training with them, and mm-hmm. uh, and also being loaned out to uh, to West Wales side Llandovery. Uh, and uh, so, if I didn't get a run on it with nothing on the weekend, I'd, I'd be up to Slandovery playing, uh, playing in the first in the Welsh uh, Premiership. So, are you still keeping in touch with Canadian rugby affairs, development of the game over there, that kind of thing? Um, it's not too much with the Canadian leagues, but definitely with the other Canadian players who are playing yeah. in Europe. Um, a few that are that are based uh, domestically. Um, I try and keep up to date with uh, what what everybody's doing, uh, you know, with the, with the Canadian squad, uh, as to what, uh, how the boys are doing in Europe, especially, um, there's a few young guys here in France and, uh, and in England who are doing very well and uh, try and kind of keep my ear out for them and help them out if they ever need any type of advice or anything like that. But, um, as terms of the domestic competition, it's, it's, it's tough to, to stay abreast of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we do on the other podcasts is we pay very close attention to American rugby because it seems to be growing. It's all very exciting there with the pro rugby and you've got the All Blacks going there in November. Um, are you a little bit worried in, in some regards that Canada's almost yeah. starting to be left behind? Uh, well, I'm not worried. It's, uh, it's, 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 already, it's already happening. Um, we're, uh, we're in a bit of a tough spot right now as... Um, Tina um, and uh, and America creates really really good momentum through their youth setups, through their centralized uh, kind of mindset in uh, getting all their players home, getting a pro league going, um, getting huge uh, branding everywhere. Everywhere you look in the states, there's USA Rugby, USA Rugby, any type of tournament, any type of um, team game, uh, high school, uh, university game. You see USA Rugby splash everywhere. It's one of the fastest growing sports in the states, mm-hmm. uh, especially the any any Olympic uh, aspirations. Kind of blows that up ten times. Um, and I've seen uh, over the last years, um, America's Six Nations that uh, their under twenty team is uh, is big and strong and, and can play some really good rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and and that filters up obviously into the into the uh, into the men's team. So um, we've uh, we've got to pull our sleeves up pretty quick uh, in terms of uh, getting all our provinces together and uh, and really working on our core skills and getting teams playing uh, high quality games, which we're which we're doing. But uh, we've definitely got to be extremely uh, proactive if uh, we don't want to get passed over by our, our neighbours to the south. Yeah, because that's, that's traditionally been, been a really good rivalry. And it would be a shame if, you know, it'd always be short-sighted if, if the USA advanced too quickly. Because sport's all based on rivalries, and, and that is a really great rivalry. Well, definitely. Um, anytime you, uh, you're up against the States, it's... Uh, 
it's kind of something you've always kind of dreamed of is beating beating the big the big brother from down south. Yeah. So uh, I'm hopefully uh, we can still keep that rivalry going because uh, it definitely puts a bit of peps in uh, in those games. Absolutely. So. I think it's fair to say that when it's all said and done, your legacy is probably going to be that of one of the best players to play second row in France. The, the media often describe you as the enforcer. Is that a role that you that you take on board and that you play up to, or do you think it's a little, little unfair? No, that's it's the media. They love blowing stuff out of proportion. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've had my brush with the disciplinary committees and what have you, like uh, like mo- most uh, forwards that I had. I just try and play my game to the best of my abilities and do my best to, to help my team. Yeah. Um, maybe certain time I've gone over the line because um, you know when you when you play on a limit, there's sometimes you're one side, sometimes you're the other. So um, it's um, it's very much on a knife edge, and, and you try and kind of balance there. But um, as I said, it's it's tough to be uh, to be the right side every time. Um, no, I, I definitely don't try and be an enforcer or try and be a or whatever it may be. I just try and do my best and uh, help the team uh, advance every weekend. If you were to describe your style of play, how would you describe it? Oh, I don't know. It's tough. Um, <laughs> I try and, try and make sure that uh, all the basics are done well. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest guy, so I'm not huge in the lineup. Make sure I'm, I'm precise and get in the air fast and make sure uh, all, all the simple things are done well and you know, clean outs, carry the ball well, make sure my defense is on point. Um, and if I can add anything else, yeah, maybe a behind-the-back pass or something like that. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I'll add it in. No, I'm just just jokes. But, uh, no, I just try to make sure, uh, As it, like I said, is, is I'm a piece of the puzzle. And uh, uh, as long as I can do that uh, to the best of my abilities, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Looking back, you were a key component of the Vern Cotter sides which I think it's fair to say played very muscular but very attractive rugby. Just give us a bit of background of what it was like to play in those sides and a little bit of tactical analysis about how you'd prepare and how you'd go about your game. Yeah, for us uh, in the past under Vern, we were, um, we were extremely well-drilled team, extremely fit, um, and we, we basically just outworked teams. Mm. Um, the majority of our successes uh, definitely from... 2007 to 2010 were were just sheer will and and outworking other teams we're playing good rugby um but at the same time we uh we had a very good tight game making sure that there was always groups of twos groups of threes working around the field uh holding all the ball for long, long periods of time and um and uh and just very very abrasive and, and um and very uh very precise and i think it's the biggest thing he, he brought for us was a, a real work ethic and attention to detail and um that was magnified even more when uh, we brought joe smith uh into the fold and um that was I think, one of the one of the great combinations we had winning uh in helping win uh, in 2010. do you think because of your background in canada and coming over to french rugby quite late you're at a distinct disadvantage, particularly compared to the guys who are from either Sanzor or the islands or French academy systems. And that's why you were so suited to this hard-working type of, of rugby played at Claremont. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's one thing all Canadian rugby players have to have. You have to be able to work extremely hard to kind of 
make up for either the the lack of rugby knowledge or the lack of rugby uh, really just time on the field that uh, we don't get. Like I didn't start playing rugby until I was about 16 years old, um, so I had to get get up and get kind of better qualified every game and every yeah. week. Um, I always make sure I watch a lot of games, watch a lot of other players in my position to to try and glean little little kind of little little tips little little things that i could i could do to to get better um and um yeah it's we're definitely we're not at a disadvantage it's just that's that's how it is uh you know back home everyone plays there's more people playing curling than there are, than there are playing <laughs> rugby so yeah it's, um you just kind of you gotta you kind of gotta get it get the work in what you can give me an example of uh watching some someone else on tape i know the second reel and uh Picking up some tips. Um, well, I guess you just you kind of look at the running lines, look at uh, the, the the set pieces. Obviously, something because it's where you gauge uh, what they're thinking, what they're trying to do, and then uh, and then just general play, sport lines, uh, tackle techniques, um, any type of uh, lineup stuff. You can kind of find uh, little 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 threads in, in their game that uh, I can adapt to mine, or maybe something I. I like or something I don't like, mm-hmm. um, so it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's it's pretty organic, you know. Depending on the play, depending on the player, um, you just kind of pick out pick up things as, as you go. You probably won't thank me for saying this, but one of my favourite YouTube clips is when you met up with Paul O'Connell. Now I referenced the um, media image of you being an enforcer before. So, so this, have you ever played against someone and felt intimidated? Um, no, no, I don't think there's much, well, maybe there's some intimidation, but it's never really affected me. Um, when you're up against somebody, um, such as uh, a guy like Paul, that's, that's exciting to me. You know, you're up against some of the best players in the world. And if you can't get excited about something like that, when you shouldn't be playing, uh, you shouldn't be playing rugby. Yeah. Um, no, there's never a, a question of intimidation, but definitely more excitement. Regarding that incident, if you can remember the actual events on the day, just tell me what was said and how it all came about. Um, I think, uh, well, they, 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 uh, they oh, if I remember correctly, they had our little number nine, Pierre Mignoni, uh, down the bottom of the line out there, and um, the, their hooker fell on him. Yeah. And, you know, being, being brought up in the old school of rugby, um, Nobody's allowed to touch your number nine, so I obviously went to his rescue and uh, and I got caught up with Paul and uh, a bit of pushing and shoving went on. And I remember seeing the uh, the touch judge put his flag out, yeah. And I figured, oh, he's he's dinged one of us, so I I figured we might as well just go for it. And then, uh, <laughs> like uh, the old saying in, in in hockey, you both you both go five for fighting. So I figured we'd both go ten for a yellow card, and that'd be the end of it. So we started having a having a go, and uh, we tumbled on the ground and had a, had a good laugh. And then uh, all of a sudden, I got a red card. Yeah, that was, a, was that was unfortunate uh, because it really put it was a ridiculous call. Because you look at what happened; it's uh, we're both doing the same thing. There's no re- reason for a red card. Do you think there's less uh, appreciation now from the officials and the rule makers of what actually fans like? Because I love that. It's it's hard. It's hard. To, it's hard these days because. There's a thousand cameras on everything you do, and even if you 
you're trying to smack somebody in the face and like kind of jokingly somebody's going to think it's an eye gouge like the game's getting pretty sanitized so it's it's yeah, yeah a little bit of here and there a little bit of whack here and there is, is all right but the, the, nowadays it's there's not really one any time for it and two uh, you know tv tv rules everything so uh you, you start getting stuff like that in super slow-mo it looks pretty bad for the uh, for the kids at home so um you know i understand why they're trying to stamp it out i get it but i do also wonder what do the kids at home actually want to watch and i don't think it is a sanitized version i mean there is a sanitized version of rugby it's called sevens or it's called touch and that and that's fine there is there is a market yeah. for that but yeah yeah i just think i think well, i'm just trying to be politically correct here oh fine because <laughs> i don't mind a bit of rough and tumble and if there's a bit of rough and tumble in the game to, especially at the beginning of the game i mean you watch um, you watch uh, some of these games in Federal One Pro de over here in France, and it's uh, first twenty minutes. There's uh, it's 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 the Wild West. Is that right? So um, you know, oh yeah, it's still there's no video, there's no cameras, so it's uh, there's still plenty of room for some of the dark arts. Is playing Pro One a bit of a blast from the past? Then a little bit about how rugby used to be, rather than how it is now. Oh, definitely, definitely. I love it. I mean, it's uh, definitely a better pace for me. I don't know if I'm still be able to be <laughs> up at pace for the top 14. You know, I'm 38 years old now, so I, mean, I should probably be hanging them up anytime soon. But uh, no, I definitely enjoy it. It's um, it's it's definitely rugby uh, that is. It's still very good, still very fast, but uh, you can still get a good clean out in here and there. And uh, you know, really try and dominate your opposite number, which is I think what any 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 forward and a lot of backs try and do every weekend. So um, it's, I'm enjoying it so far. Okay, tell me about those opening 20 minutes. You've got four on your back. He's got four on his back. What's the intention? Just to let him know you're there? Oh, definitely. you got to make sure you uh, mark your territory from the beginning of the game. Um, sometimes uh, there's little looks and little pushes in the in the corridor on the way out to the field. Otherwise, there's uh, maybe a little thing in the line out or a bit of a, a, bit of a face, face wash in the bottom of a ruck. Mm-hmm. But um, you definitely give it a bit extra to make sure that you uh, you, you – Mark your territory from the beginning of the game, and that's that's extremely important in any sport. Can you tell then when you've mentally undermined or physically intimidated a guy to a sort of degree that you're happy with, and then you can carry on with your game? Um, I think there's never really a decision as to going after someone or trying to put your foot down or, mm. or stopping. It's it's kind of full bore the whole time, and if you do your job well. Then that that normally that the your adversary is going to fall by the wayside naturally. Mm-hmm. So um, the key for me is you know is getting five or ten really good things done right, and um, and that that itself will uh, will mark your territory, and you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to keep playing some some good rugby and help the team uh, advance as best you can. So who's the adversary that you've come across who just wouldn't give up? The guy who. You just have to deal with an all game. It's you and him going at it. I don't know. There's a few. Um, there's, uh, there's one guy, Arno Mella, who plays in Brief. He's a, the captain there. We and Arno have had some, some good battles. Um, and then uh, who else? You got Nathan Hines, who I played with and played against. Yeah. Who, uh, when did you play uh, against Nathan Hines? He's always a pain in the ass. Uh, 
I played against Nathan when he was playing for uh, Leinster. Ah, yeah, and then that's again right. For when he was playing with Sale. Did he go from you from you guys from Claremont over to over to Leinster, or was it the other way around? No, he came from Leinster to us, and then he went to Sale. So we, we I played against them for Sale and uh, and against Leinster. Ah, oh, yeah, that that is right. The reason I mention it is because as intimidating pairings go, I think you and him are probably my favourite pairing. Thanks a lot. Um, so you've been in the news recently and on our on our side side of the channel the coverage yeah. of this has mostly come from the telegraph and the yeah. daily mail and it's involving concussions now we had a bit of a brief chat about this before we started the podcast and um i don't think it's been particularly well covered over here so why don't you give me your side of it and exactly what's what's gone on um, well, what's happened is uh, after uh, the semi-final and the final, the European Cup last year, when I was playing for uh, for Claremont, I um, I was uh, I was really badly concussed in the semi-final, and then uh, again in the in the final two weeks later. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, during the semifinal, I was, uh, I was, I had a head on head collision with uh, Billy Vonopola and, uh, I was taken off for, uh, for blood. Uh, during that time, uh, the, my team doctor ran me through the HIA, which I failed. Mm-hmm. Um, he then uh, asked me to sit down and take my boots off. Um, I started taking my my boots off. I was uh, pretty distraught not to be able to continue playing. But um, by that time, you know, I kind of resigned myself to the fact that the game was over. Um, a few minutes later, he came back in. He said, how do you feel? How do you feel? And um, I said, well, no, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. He said, because Seb, uh, my second row partner, Seb Vahamina, he said he was struggling. So um, we got to get you back out there. So I put up my, pulled on my boots and, uh, and got back out there and I uh, was allowed to return to play. Um, after the game, I, I struggled with some, uh, some pretty bad headaches, uh, some cloudiness around my eyes. And I was sent to see a, a neurosurgeon uh, during the week. Um, during that week, I went through battery tests at the beginning of the week and then later on in the week, and uh, they deemed that um, I had sufficiently recovered to be in the squad for the following week and for the final of the Champions Cup in uh, Twickenham. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I was given the uh, I was given the all clear to play, um, but I, I always remember not really feeling that very right. 
um, I've, I've, it was very hard because, you know, your mind plays tricks on you. You want to, you want to play in a game that you work so hard to get to. Uh, are you, to, are you totally right? Are you totally recovered? I was pretty sure I was because I'd been with a neurosurgeon all week. I'd do a lot of, done a lot of tests. I'd had the, the MRI. Um, I thought I'd done everything right to, uh, to, to make sure that I was, uh, I was okay and I was ready to play. Um, clearly I wasn't because the first tackle I made, I was, uh, I was sparked out again. I was knocked out again and went, uh, went off the field, did the HIA again. Apparently I passed it because I was allowed to go back on the field. Um, and continued on in the second half, I had a, a head knock. I went off for blood. And, uh, after that head knock in the change room, I was, I started, uh, vomiting into the garbage cause, uh, I was uh, I wasn't doing very well. I was uh, I was struggling with uh, well, I don't know what. It definitely didn't have any stomach trouble. Yeah. But um, I learned after the fact that vomiting is one of the uh, one of the first signs of second second impact syndrome, mm-hmm. which I now which I now know can be can be fatal. Sorry, but, uh, you... I, I, had, I had sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Can you just just tell us a bit about second impact syndrome because this isn't something I'm particularly familiar with. Well, second impact syndrome uh, is. Uh, is an extremely risky situation after you've cre- had a, a head injury or a concussion, mm-hmm. which are two different things. Um, you can uh, your your brain has 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 ha- taken a shock and is in an extremely vulnerable vulnerable state. If you receive another shock in a certain period of time, it's it's not a defined period, but it, most neurosurgeons think within the next four to five days uh, after an initial shock, it, it can be fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been deaths in, in England. There has been deaths in Canada from, in rugby of, uh, of players who have had uh, this second impact syndrome and actually died from it, um, playing a game on a Friday and again on a Sunday uh, through a weekend tournament and, yeah. uh, and dying from that. Um, I didn't know any of this. I learned all this after the fact, but... Um, for the for the final, I was uh, I started vomiting and I was uh, I was I was pretty ill, but um, you know after vomiting a lot of times you get quite a sh- surge of adrenaline, and I was fired up. I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be in this game to to finally win uh, a Champions Cup, and I was allowed to go back on the field, and I finished the game, um, and after the game I just remember being uh, kind of uh, dead to the world cloudy uh extremely tired not able to not able to um not able to sleep uh for days uh, i was uh i was again taken under the care of the neurosurgeon on the on the monday after the game and uh he uh he he, he realized that i had had some serious trouble uh from the weekend but most likely from the from the week before right um, and uh, i was basically in a dark room for the next month Oh goodness! So, was this your first experience with concussions? No, I've had some uh, some other concussions in the, in the past. I can't say how many. I know, I know, I, I had a pretty bad one in two thousand eight when oh. I was when I was stood down for about a month. Um, but uh, in terms of little knocks, big knocks, it's there's no really way to gauge how bad the concussions are. But uh, yeah. I think over my life, I've uh, I've had quite a few through. 
car crashes, through playing rugby, through fights, through ski crashes, through, you know, any any type of accident I've had in my life. I've probably whacked my head quite a few times. And where do you think the big danger is in concussions? Do you think it is the second syndrome, uh, sorry, second impact syndrome, as we've just spoke about? Or do you think it is the accumulation of all these smaller knocks? Um, well, nobody can really, really be sure. Um, you know, it's still, there's a lot of data out there. Um, it's how you interpret it, but there's no real concrete way to, to, to decide, okay, you've had one concussion, you've got to stop playing, or you've had 10 concussions, you've got to stop playing, or you've had a, a whole bunch of little ones and you can keep playing. There's no real set in stone way. You know, I, I know guys who have had one knock and they've, Never played hockey again because there's a lot of guys that get concussions in hockey. Yeah, uh, Sid- I know guys. Yeah, sorry. <coughs> Didn't um, Sidney Crosby have a serious, a serious uh, concussion? Sidney Crosby's had a serious amount of concussions, and he's been uh, he's been um, extremely uh, well taken care of, and he took the time off uh, that he needed to, and he was able to come back last year and win a Stanley Cup. But um, yeah, so I mean, he's he's come back and uh, he's managed to. Uh, have a obviously he has a huge career he's one of the best players in the world and uh, to win the Stanley Cup last year after having the last few years of uh, you know three months out six months out uh, through concussion that's um, that's 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 great for him but um, as I said there's no real concrete way to know yet as to as to how to properly deal with it but um, the one thing they do know is the most important thing is to have rest and to make sure that the athlete is removed from the field of play. Yeah, so are you looking to increase awareness on the playing side or the medical side? Because one of the things you said Um, before was you really wanted to get back playing. And to be honest, if I had my one chance at a European Cup, I'm not sure that I would report syndromes. My symptoms? Well, the the problem for me was it was was after the fact, after everything was done, and um, I wanted to be uh, be ready to, to be able to go to the World Cup next year. Um, and it took three months for me to even like be able to do proper training to uh, even do a squat without having my head turn. And, uh, and it was, um, it was really scary time because I was very close to just hanging them up, retiring and stopping rugby because, uh, I've been put up back on the field. The main thing that we're looking for now is, is, is just to inform, is to inform people. The foundation that my wife and I have, have set up is a non-for-profit. Um, any type of uh, legal proceedings that may happen against the club is not for me. It's not for it's not for us. It's f- to put directly into the foundation and uh, help with education, because uh, the the dark time that I went through last year is uh, is something I do- would never want any other rugby player to have to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, the huge the biggest thing was is for me is is people need to know the dangers. They need to know um, what what you can do, what is dangerous, what, uh, just more info. And, uh, that's going to be our biggest focus so that, um, cause like me like myself, I've been playing pro rugby for the last, you know, 14 odd years. And I didn't know that there's supposed to be a three week stand down after a head injury. I didn't know that, um, you know, these, these type of thing, these type of rules are somewhat in place. Um, and that's uh, that's the biggest thing for us is to really bring education to the forefront, especially in France, 
because we're easily uh, 10 years behind the rest of the world. Yeah, well, as Dave Flatman says, there's a lot of machismo when it comes to French League rugby, so not that surprising, I guess. Um, Definitely. Would you be looking to potentially change any of the rules uh, within the game of rugby, uh, as in the playing rules? The, the rules uh, in terms of... No, the, the rugby's, rugby's just fine as it is. Okay. I, I don't think any rule changes need to be... Rugby's a contact sport, and you're never going to take that away from it. Uh, I don't want anything to be changed in terms of rugby itself. Mm-hmm. What needs to change is the way the players are treated, uh, especially here in France. Um, I can't speak for, for England because I know they're, they're doing some great things in terms of HIA management. They've got proper laws stated. Um, in North America, we, we're very sensible to the concussion problem, and players are, are, are recognized and removed right away. Um, the problem here is that uh, the most important thing is that the team wins and that uh, the crowd's happy and uh, you know the best players are on the field. And if so-and-so's got a bit of a head knock, oh, he's, he's tough. You give him a bit of water on the back of the neck and uh, send him back out there. Yeah, the problem I'm... here is there's, there's not even a defined uh, rest period. There's not a defined head injury assessment besides the, the same seven words that everybody knows. So you, the guys actually study them before the game. So if they do get a, <laughs> if they do get a, a knock, they, they know they can, they can – fly through the HIA and get straight back on the field. Right, the, the problem uh, is that is, is those guys do that not knowing the full uh, weight of their decisions. Yes. Because, you know, I, w- I was like that too. I was the, I was the, the meathead that said, screw this, my head's going to be fine. I'll take a week off if I have to, but I'll still be good to finish the game until I got the, the information and realized how actually dangerous it is. If a player is comfortable, though, with that decision, uh, concussed or not, or not concussed, I assume you you wouldn't be happy for them to go back on, even if they were fully aware of the weight of their decision. The the problem is it can't be their decision. Yeah. When you're in a concussed state, you're not thinking properly. It's like you're when you're drinking and driving. You think you're a really good driver. You think, oh yeah, sweet, I'll be able to drive home. But you're actually not. So that's where it comes to the doctors and to the coaches and to them to put the player first, not the victory, not the the pressure that they may have from the, the presidents or whoever to, to keep these guys on the field so that they can win the game. The most important thing is that they take the safety and health of the player in, in their hands first. Okay. It's the same thing as if you work in an office and you, you work in an office, you fall down the stairs at work and you bump your head on the wall. Well, nobody's going to say, all right, rub some, throw some ice on it and get back to your desk and start typing away uh, at, at the computer, they're going to say, no, no, we got to get an ambulance in here, we got to go see a doctor, and you got to make sure you're okay. And this is, shouldn't be any different for, for a player suffering a head injury in rugby. I do fully agree with everything you've said. But are you not worried about the law of unintended consequence? That you know, what, we, what starts off with a player welfare issue might end up changing the game? Or the more concerning one for me, really, is like in the NFL, if you're a player with concussion issues, it might be very hard to get your next contract or your next job. And for a rugby player, uh, that could be really serious because it's not like they're earning NFL money. No, you're exactly right. It opens it opens up a huge Pandora's box of problems on every side. 
the, the main thing I need uh, that we're pushing for here is that there's at least rules and there's at least penalties if those rules aren't followed. Yeah. The problem here is that there's no, nothing defined. World Rugby's got their finger up their ass because they haven't. They don't. They don't put anybody uh, to task that flaunt the rules. Last year, Florian Fritz got smashed in the middle of the field. He gets carried off by the doctors, falls down twice, gets goes into the change room, and this is all on TV. And the and the coach is knocking on the door, say, hey, 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 come on, let's go, get him out there. We got to get him on the field. Yeah, well, and, we, you know, like things like that, like it's it's blatant and clear to see. Like you can't let that stuff fly. Yeah, you talk I, about kids watching a bit of fighting on the on, on in games to make it exciting, but you know, you look at a guy who's barely able to walk and he goes back on the field. Like we're sending a pretty bad message. That is true. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. In fact, it was the last Lions tour that George Smith was stumbling all over the place. You've had Richard Hibbard, you've had George North more recently. But rugby's got quite a long history of this sort of thing. Just update us then, just so we're very, very clear. The, the Mail yeah. and the Telegraph have said there are legal proceedings. There are no legal proceedings against Claremont then. No, not at the moment. There's definitely an opportunity. There's, uh, there's definitely um, there's, uh, there's a chance that that may happen in the, past, in the future. Yep. What we don't want, we don't want to get into a pissing war with Claremont or with the French Federation. We want to help get make the game safer and make it safer for the players. Sure. So RSN, the Rugby Safety Network, our foundation, which being a non-for-profit, is all we, we're doing is making sure that we get these uh, – if ASM could be a partner with us, that would be huge. Yes. We don't want – I don't want to have to attack them, them – Put all the money in the foundation, and then we start doing our education. It'd be a hell of a lot better that we work together, mm-hmm. work on the education, get in the rugby schools, get into high schools. Get we've got a children's book coming out, so kids at that young age um, take away that stigma of oh, I've got a head injury, but I got to be tough. Uh, I shouldn't tell anybody or keep my mouth shut or that type of thing needs to needs to be 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 educated out of out of these young players so that uh we we get less problems later on where guys are getting injured and they're like you said i've, I've got to keep my contract or i might i'm up for uh, up for a new deal soon i got to keep my mouth shut because i don't want anybody to know uh, um about uh, about my concussion well they need to be educated so that if they do make that decision at least they know the risks that they're taking how are you being received by the federation, by the clubs, and most importantly, are you getting any support from players contacting you saying, "Jamie, this um, this this is a really a really good idea"? We've got nothing but positive support. I've been getting players from you know throughout Europe, uh, in North America, Southern Hemisphere. I've got um, hockey friends of mine that play in the NHL or now coaches in the NHL who are. Yeah, sorry, you were saying about the NHL uh, coaches and the reception. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got many different guys through, uh, like I said, throughout Europe uh, in the NHL. Uh, friends of mine that are uh, back in back in Canada and the states that are definitely behind uh, this whole initiative. And um, yeah, the biggest thing, like I said, is uh, is that I I can I can give back to rugby because it's it's given me so much, and uh, that's. Um, that's a great, great way. I think I can do it with uh, with this foundation and, and through educating uh, 
young players, just just about the dangers so that they're aware. And if they want to make a decision, then uh, at least they've got all the facts on the table. Well, I sincerely wish you the best of luck with this. I think it's incredibly important. And I just hope you can square the circle, which is rugby and concussions, because uh, I think it's a very, very, comp- a very, very complex issue. Yeah, it is very, very complex, and uh, it's um, you know it's it's a huge it's a huge task for for my wife and I, um, but um, we're up for it. Uh, we love big jobs and big challenges, so uh, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be we're very fired up about it, and um, we're gonna be we're gonna be fighting for many years to make sure uh, that um, the game stays uh, as it is, but uh, the players are are much better taken care of. Excellent. Well, I couldn't let you go. Uh, particularly after you said that you and your wife enjoy taking on a big challenge if I didn't talk about your wine now I was, yeah. quite, I was, I was quite surprised that uh, Jamie Cudmore had got into uh, the well, I was going to say the brewing industry but of course it isn't it's winemaking so so tell me about your wine well um, the, the wine started uh, about almost two years ago now um, it was actually my wife's endeavour she uh, she came up with the uh, the idea um when she was uh, in business school in Oxford, um, she uh, she made the business plan uh, and thought, "Hey, why not uh, why not give this a go?" Uh, we uh, we just finished having our second child, um, and uh, she's uh, she's always worked uh, throughout her life. So she said, "Listen, I got to get back in the uh, get back in the workforce," and uh, we uh, we started looking around for uh, for caves to and, uh, and vineyards to to make our wine with and. Um, we wanted to uh, do a bit of a tongue-in-cheek uh, poke at myself and my my history in rugby. Yeah. So we called it uh, Sinmen Wines. Excellent. Uh, and and yeah. and how involved are you in the day in the day-to-day running of the business? Uh, well, I'm just uh, I'm just a poor delivery boy. Uh, <laughs> I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm. Uh, no, it's. Um, we started. We started uh, with uh, some red and some white. The. Uh, the yellow card and the red card, and uh, and then we brought in a rosé uh, last winter. Um, they drink a lot of rosé up in the mountains over here, so uh, that that was a, that was a huge hit. And then uh, this year we've uh, we've come uh, come out with a with a new Bergerac, uh, a red, uh, a nice red called uh, Blood Brothers, which uh, we're doing a little partnership with some old friends of mine, Nick Benenden and uh, okay. Damien Shuley back at uh, back at Claremont. So um, we're really excited about that, and um, yeah, if anybody uh, if anybody's looking for any, you've got a, you can find it on the internet at Demanda Cudmore, and um, you know it's uh, it's a great little adventure, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny because every time I go to training, I've always got a, a case or two of wine in the back <laughs> so I can pass it out and make sure the boys can try it, and uh, I'm always organizing pallets and orders uh, left, right, and center around uh, around France, Spain, uh, over in England and Wales as well. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a fun little adventure. Excellent. So what's more intimidating, French packs or French wine critics? Oh, geez, uh, definitely the critics because uh, it's just some, they're just some stuffy guy that thinks he knows better than everybody else. You know, everybody's got their own taste in wine and uh, they know what they like. Um, I'm very, very happy, uh, as is Jennifer, my wife, uh, with how our red came out. The Sinbin uh, that we had before was it was excellent, but the Blood Brothers were very, very proud. We got uh, two stars in the Hacha de Vin in 2016, so that's a great start for the wine. And um, yeah, no, uh, we'll uh, we'll keep uh, we'll try and keep uh, the critics happy uh, and make.
making sure that they, uh, if they do want to critique the wine, they'll have to do it right in front of me. Excellent. <laughs> that is a that is a tremendous business plan. Yeah, right on. Thank you. Uh, um, and just so we know, can we get this shipped to England? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. We'll be. Uh, we're looking actually for a um, for a proper distributor at the moment because. Um, but um, I think it, it might be it might be uh, it might be something we got to do quicker than uh, sooner rather than later because uh, apparently you guys want a Brexit, so um, we, uh, <laughs> we better get on it. Yeah, absolutely. You need to uh, stockpile as much of that stuff over here as you possibly can. Jamie, you've been a fantastic guest, but. Before I let you go, tell us one last time, where do we find your wines? Where do we find you on Twitter? Well, you've got uh, you got me uh, at JNC Cudmore on Twitter. Uh, same thing with Instagram. And uh, for, our, for our wines, it's uh, Domaine de Cudmore and Sinbin Wines on, uh, on Twitter and Instagram as well. And then the Rugby Safety Network, uh, RSN, uh, is through Twitter as well. And... Um, more importantly, uh, if you guys, uh, anybody needs any wine, uh, you just hit us up on demandedcudmore.com. Well, thank you again. Best of luck with your season at Oyana. I hope that goes well. I hope you sell a ton of wines. And most importantly, best of luck with the foundation. Thank you again, Jamie. And hopefully we will see you sometime in mid-season. You can come on again. With pleasure. I'd be happy to speak, chat, chat again. Thanks very much and uh, have a great night. Cheers. So that was Jamie Cudmore. Um, massive thanks to him again for coming on. Uh, proof that you can meet your heroes and it does work out occasionally quite well. Um, you can find us at the Rugby Dungeon, meet RJ Beardmore, watch out for Egg Chasers, which is out a little later this week than normal. And, oh yeah, of course, visit our friends at Field and Flower, use our code RUGBY20. Next week we'll be having a guest in studio, I think which means we've got no more interference with Skype. And until then, try and avoid concussions, and I will see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 